Good morning. Happy Father's Day. And uh, real quick, just a quick congratulations to Bill and Crystal McMurray, our newest newlyweds in the congregation. Congratulations, guys. Very good. So this is an expository type teaching where we go through the different books of the Bible verse by verse, and we are currently in the study of Romans. Each Sunday we pass out our Grace in Actions, which contain a summary of the prior week's teachings as well as class notes for you to follow along this morning. So as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be sure we're in fellowship with the Father. We do this by taking a moment of silence, allowing time for each one of us to privately confess any known sins to the Father. As stated in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this day that we may assemble together as fellow members of the body of Christ and study your almighty word. We give thanks for every individual you have led to your service here this morning, those among us in the chapel, those listening on the internet, and for anyone who may hear this message at a later date. Thank you for our current study of Romans. We pray this service draws us closer to you and that you open our hearts and minds that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. May we take what we have learned and apply it to our daily lives. Challenge us to extract our spiritual nourishment and to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask that you continue to bring us wisdom and give us strength and perseverance in our trials. Help each one of us to learn in the liberty of your grace, freeing us from legalism, works, and fears attacking us daily, always keeping you in thought and prayer, bringing glory to you. Thank you for providing us with every spiritual blessing. We thank you for the precious gift of your Son, providing us forgiveness of our sins and our so great salvation. We also give thanks for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, serving as our mentor and teacher and bringing your word alive for us. Thank you, Father, for the blessings and answered prayers of this ministry. Thank you for the provisions of this building in which to meet on a consistent basis. We also give thanks for the individuals you have raised up in their positive volition to this doctrinal ministry, giving of their time, talent, and treasure. Continue to open doors of opportunity for this ministry to proclaim the gospel message to the world. Thank you for the gift of our pastor and his faithfulness and dedication to teaching your word. Supply him his spiritual and temporal needs. Grant him encouragement through your word. Offer him protection from the attacks of the enemy. And give grace to him that your message is spoken with accuracy and clarity, delivering your full counsel. We thank you for the blessings and privileges we have in the United States. We pray for our leaders, our president, vice president, and cabinet members. Give them wisdom, moral courage, and conviction in leading this nation according to your will. Thank you for the men and women in military service. Give them each courage, strength, and knowledge to fight the battle abroad, keeping our nation safe, knowing you are in full control. Thank you for those providing local services, such as law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, and others who commit to our safety and security here at home. We pray for those who may be experiencing trials and tribulations at this time, whether it's health, financial, or anything that may be troubling. Lead them to your word for comfort and to continue forward in faith. Father, allow each one of us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction, Let us be thoughtful and considerate and do nothing to disturb or distract those who are serious students of the Word of God. Father, we thank you for who and what you are. May honor and glory be yours. We offer you these prayers upon the merits of Christ, aware of being in union with him and seated at your right hand. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. And now, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. 
with a grateful heart Give thanks to the Holy One Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son Give thanks with a grateful heart Give thanks to the Holy One Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son let the weak say I am strong Let the poor say I am rich Because of what the Lord has done for us And now let the weak say I am strong Let the poor say I am rich Because of what the Lord has done for us Give thanks we give thanks, we give thanks. Maybe sing. It's a Father Day, Father's Day song written by uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman called Cinderella, about a father and his daughter. And she sways to whatever song plays Without a care in the world I'm sitting here wearing the weight of the world On my shoulder It's been a long day and there's still work to do She's pulling at me saying Dad I need you There's a ball at the castle I've been invited and I need to practice my dancing Oh please, daddy please So I will dance with Cinderella While she is here in my arms Cause I know something the prince never knew I don't want to miss even one song Cause all too soon The clock will strike midnight And she'll be gone She says he's a nice guy I'd be impressed She wants to know if I approve of the dress she says, Dad, the prom is just one week away And I need to practice my dancing Oh, please, Daddy, please So I'll dance with Cinderella While she is here in my arms Cause I know something the prince never knew Dance with Cinderella I don't want to miss even one song It's all too soon The clock will strike midnight And she'll be Oh, 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 oh,
فرض کو دیجائے سیدھا Uh, good morning to all of you, and uh, I know Trent already uh, wished all you guys a, a Father's, a Happy Father's Day, but I want to say Happy Father's Day to all of you guys, and I'll, I'll be calling my dad later on this afternoon, give him Happy Father's Day. You only have one father, and you only have one mother, so the Bible says to honor your father and mother, and even if you move away from them, you should always call them up and show them the respect that they deserve. They brought you into the world, they, they sacrificed for you, they love you, they gave their whole lives to you. And you should do that. You should call them up. And when they get old and they can't support them, you know, they can't do anything for themselves, you should help them out. You don't uh, ignore them. You pick up the phone, take care of them, and uh, talk to them because they gave their whole lives to you. So that's uh, always, always remember. A lot of people don't have fathers and mothers. And uh, if you have a, had a great dad and mom who provided for you and gave you love in the home, this is when, that's a time where you should, uh, you should remember them. They're very, very important people. You know, you, you get a lot of things from your dad. One of the things I got from my dad is uh, he, taught us, he taught us a work ethic. He taught us, like a lot of you guys, you learned from your dads, taught us to work hard, do be- the best you can, be conscientious in what you do. So your dads are very, very important. And they also, you know, the moms are kind of the, the more the compassionate. They kind of, you kind of get your attitude about God right from the beginning from your parents, whether you realize it or not. Your mother, a lot of time, is the compassionate side of God, and then you have your father is usually the, the righteousness and justice. So, um, you know, just take care of your, your parents and do not uh, ignore them, especially when they get old and they become helpless. Remember, they took care of you and I when they were helpless, when we were helpless. All right, so uh, good morning to all of you. Thank you, Eric, for doing the slide. Trent doing the announcements and the prayer, opening prayer. As usual, you did a great job. And also, uh, Titus back there doing the sound. and. Thank you for you guys venturing in here this morning. If you could turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Now this morning we're going to uh, look at, uh, in Romans 15, 19, the very end of that statement, very end of that verse, we're going to look at that verse this morning verse 20 and verse 21. And in these verses, these three verses, Paul reveals to the Roman believers that he proclaimed the gospel by the power of the Spirit from Jerusalem to Illyricum and fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We're going to learn a lot of things about, uh, if you're listening to the Spirit, there are a lot of things that we can learn, even though this is pretty much autobiographical from Paul. One thing we learned is Paul's dedication and devotion to the gospel. How that was the most important thing to him is to make sure that as many people heard about Jesus Christ as he could. And that should be our attitude as well. Total dedication and devotion. The other thing is also that he, he looked at his ministry as not him on his own in his own strength. You cannot be in ministry. I don't care if you're a pastor or you're whoever you are, a deacon, somebody sitting in the pew, operating in your gifts, serving, wherever you do. You cannot do it in your own strength and power because God will reveal to you that you can't because there are going to be difficult times in the ministry. There always are in every ministry. And that's when you find out if you're operating in your own strength and power or the power of God. So Paul understood that the secret to ministry was Christ working in him through the power of the Spirit. We're also going to see that the, this ministry that Paul had to the Gentiles, remember what a Gentile is, he's someone who's non-Jewish racially. Now we are a fulfillment of prophecy. The fact that we have been born again and saved as Gentile believers is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Paul found his destiny in the Scriptures. That's where we find Our destiny is in the scriptures. This is where you want to find out what God has for you planned. It's all here. It's all in the book. And I've spent the last nine years trying to show you that. That that's where you need to go. Not to Oprah, not to Dr. Phil, not to your psychologist, but to the word of God. That's where you find out the Father's will for your life. It's very simple, but it takes application. You have to apply yourself to it. It's not let go, let God. And if you, if you heard me say many times, you get as much out of your relationship with God as you put into it. So Paul, he saw that the, his ministry was predicted in the Old Testament. And our ministry 
as church-age believers, is also found in our Bibles. And it's been put down in the New Testament epistles and the Gospels. So look at Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And Paul says, And concerning you, Roman believers, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister, a servant of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, or in other words, because I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. The things pertaining to the God are actually the things he mentioned, the items he mentioned in verse 16. Then he says in verse 18, For I will never presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So it's God's power. It's Christ, the Spirit. You don't convert anybody. It's Christ working in you and me that brings about the conversion and the Holy Spirit. We're nothing. We're powerless. We didn't get saved on our own power. So how do you think we're going to get other people to get saved? It's on God's power. And in the power of God is in the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Romans 1.16, we saw that. The power of God for salvation. So it's not how eloquent you are or how intelligent you are. It's how available you make yourself. Are you available to God using you? If you are, watch what God can do. So we see here that Paul understood these things. He says in verse 19, he explains that last phrase at the end of uh, verse 18, he says, by word and deed. Then in verse 19, he explains what he means by that. He says, in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem, that's where he got his, 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 uh, his commission from the Lord. From Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, the northern extremity of the Roman Empire in that day in the first century. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. That phrase at the very end. So that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. That's presenting the results, people, of Christ working through Paul by the power of the Spirit in his ministry to the Gentiles. He, this, is the, this statement there is the, it shows the results of Christ working through him by the power of the Spirit. From Jerusalem, that denotes that the city of Jerusalem was the geographical starting point of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. Well, how do we know that? Because Acts chapter 22, verses 17, 17 through 21 teaches this. This is where he received his commission from the Lord to go to the Gentiles. It's not the place, it's not the place where he uh, first proclaimed the gospel. That was in Antioch, Syria. He got saved up there. He's talking about where he got his commission to go to the Gentiles. Because when he first got saved, he went to the Jews. He went to his own people. But as we saw this week, this past week, Paul was devastated by the fact, undoubtedly, that God told him not to go to his people, but to go far away to the Gentiles because they won't listen to him anymore. They won't listen to the Jews. wouldn't listen to Paul. You've got to go. You've got to get out of here. You've got to go to the Gentiles. They will not accept your testimony here. They'll kill you. Now, hold your place. Let me show you that. Look at, hold your place. Go back a book. Go to Acts. Go to Acts chapter 22. Look at verse 1. Acts 22, 1. Now, Paul, this uh, particular chapter is Paul, he has been arrested. The Roman, he was about to get uh, murdered by a Jewish mob that actually were, they had actually made the lie up about Paul that he brought a Gentile into the Jewish section of the temple. So they said, see, Paul had a reputation in those days. Unfortunately, it was a lie that they said that he was against the law, that he was against the Jewish people because he taught you saved not by keeping the law, but by grace through faith in Christ. Now, he's, that's the reputation he had. And so he was, they were considered him very suspicious at this point. And they didn't like him. So they thought he was a traitor. So here he is. He's about to get killed by a Jewish mob. And the Roman commander, remember Rome was, uh, actually had authority over Jerusalem at that time. The Roman commander actually saved Paul. 
This is a good, the, one of the advantages of having government, as we studied in our Romans 13 series. It, it'll protect us. The, the, many times it'll protect Christians, especially Rome. And Rome was not, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, um, liked Christianity. They didn't really, there wasn't, the, the issue was they kept law and order so that the gospel could be proclaimed. So this is the setting. And Paul tells the Jewish mob that Christ told him to get out of, out of Jerusalem and go to the Gentiles. And they pr- attempt to kill him. Look at uh, Acts chapter 22, verse 1. Brethren, fathers, hear my defense which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said to them, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel. You couldn't get better at theology. He was the greatest theologian of the Jews in that day. Strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are, just as you all are today, he says. Then he says, I persecuted this way, the Christians, to the death Putting, binding and putting to death both men and women, putting them into prisons, and as also the high priests and the council of the elders can testify, from them also I received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that I, as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, as you do it to another Christian, you're doing it to Jesus. Paul learned that right away. Never speak evil of another Christian. You're doing it to Jesus. Just give it over to the Lord. Look at verse 8. And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up. And go on into Damascus. And there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was developed by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, he looked up. I looked up at him. Now, that's a very brave man because... Paul had a reputation of killing Christians. And now God's telling him, hey, go to this guy, Saul of Tarsus. You've got to be kidding me. This guy's a murderer. It's like, going to, it's like having a, going to Osama bin Laden okay, and saying, receive your sight, Osama bin Laden. That's what Paul was like. He was a very religious, he was a murderer. Just like Osama bin Laden killed people in the name of, of God. Now look what he says in verse uh, 14. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. So he went back to Jerusalem. He's in the temple. That's where his ministry started, as we'll see. And then I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste. Get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. He's not going to have Paul stick around and get killed. You're out of here, he's saying. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue, after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And look at it says, and he said to me, Jesus did, go. For I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, remember what Paul said in Romans 15, 19, uh, 15, uh, 19, he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum. From Jerusalem means that's where he got his commission from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to stop for a second. Think about this. What a terrible, that must have been so awful for Paul. People he loved, the people who he grew up with, the people he went to school with, who learned theology within the temple, the people he prayed with, his own Jewish countrymen, he, was, he was, must have been absolutely devastated that he had to leave. The people, he very people he loved, but they wouldn't accept his testimony. So he left. He had to go. Jesus said, you're not going to stay here. i got to get you out of here. Go to the Gentiles. He's the only one of the apostles who was commissioned to go solely, to do church planting among the Gentiles. Now look at what it says in verse 22. They listened to him up to this statement. And then they raised their voices, anger, and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth! 
for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander, the Roman commander, ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find, find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. It's like, let's whack him and we'll ask questions later. But when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? You could get killed. But that commander, if he scourged Paul, he would be put to death because you never, ever scourge the Roman citizen. And Paul was a Roman citizen. So go back to Romans 15, please. Go back to Romans 15, 19. Romans 15, 19. Paul says, In the power of signs, and the power of, the, of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Illyricum was a Roman province. It was in the northwestern Balkan Peninsula. It stretched along the eastern coast of the Adriatic Sea to the borders of Italy to Macedonia, and inland as far as the Danube. Today, this area corresponds to modern Albania or much of Yugoslavia, and also Bosnia. Now, when he says roundabout as far as Illyricum, that indicates that Paul took a circuitous route, and that his journey was not a direct one. What do I mean by that? He, went, he didn't just go a straight shot. He actually went from place to place. Let me show you on the map. This map on the board, I don't know how much you can see it. That's not bad, but because it's a little darker today. But down here, and off to the right, is where we have the Arabian Desert in the bottom right-hand corner. You probably have the maps in your, in your Grace and Actions, which Gina does a great job with. So you get, you get Jerusalem down here. Now, he didn't just go straight across the Mediterranean Sea to Illyricum, up here in, in the middle of your map, right above Italy. He actually, if you go back to Jerusalem, he goes up here. Syria, this is where he got saved in Syria. He goes up into Cappadocia. He goes over here into Macedonia. That's where the Philippians were. The Corinthians were just south in, a, in the Roman province of Achaia. And he says he went all the way to Illyricum. See where Italy is right below it? That's where he ends up going. That's where the Romans are, obviously. Illyricum is northeast of that. Illyricum is the northern extremity of the Roman Empire in the first century. Now, this map is actually a map of the spread of Christianity during the first and second centuries. So that's what the green, uh, the green uh, shadowing denotes. But here, we're talking about Paul. He went back and forth. He would hit. This is what he would do. It'd be like, let's take Iowa for as an example. He would hit, if there was no, no Christians in Iowa, first of all, he'd go to the big metropolitan centers. He would, we'd go to Des Moines, okay? He'd go to Des Moines, he'd go to Cedar Rapids, he'd go to Iowa City, evangelize those cities, start churches there. Then, those churches would evangelize the, the different counties and, and, and rural areas around them in their periphery. But he had to keep moving. He, because he didn't have, he didn't have a hundred years to do this. He actually had a, he had took about thirty years to do this. And he went all over the Roman Empire. And people, and people, there was poor travel compared to today. He couldn't get into his car and do this. He had to ride on horseback many times, on donkey, on the back of a, a wagon. He was, walked many, many miles. He had to be a rugged individual. So what does this tell you about this ministry stretched from Jerusalem to Illyricum? It talks about his dedication. He was sold out for Jesus. Question. Ask yourself the question. Play polka. Are you sold out for Jesus like Paul? Because I have to ask that question to myself. It's a good question to ask. Because we can't grow if we, if we kill, kid ourselves and deceive ourselves. We can't. We can't grow. You know, growing up spiritually hurts many times, people. You know, when Jesus said in, in, in John 15, the vine and the branches metaphor, you know, he talks about pruning. We're, he's the vine, we're the branches. We can do nothing without the vine, just like a branch could do nothing without a vine. And when they prune, he talks about pruning, that means we have to go through trials and tribulations and suffering. We have to take a personal inventory of where we're at. We all do. But if you don't want to face those questions and don't want to answer those questions and kid yourself, then you're never going to grow up and get the most that God's highest and best that he has for you and make the impact that God wants from you. Because it's a great blessing to you that you're sold out for Jesus. Sold out. Don't wait till the rapture. The guy who I got ordained from, Pastor McLaughlin, he's the lovely he said it. I was just getting ready to get serious with you, Jesus. 
I was just getting, but you came back too soon. And Jesus ain't going to hear any excuses. Give it all you have. Hey, I am your friend. I feed you the word of God. I love you. You're my spiritual children. Jody comes up to me and says, Happy Father's Day. I looked at her like, <laughs> You're my spiritual children. Hey, do you, do you always like what your father has said to you or your mother when you're growing up? No. I used to hate my father. I'll tell you what, I couldn't have anything to do with my father till I was 25. Till I started getting a little doctrine in my head. And then I said, what a great guy he was. What was I thinking of? Some of you might have your problems with your teenagers and your young people and saying, boy, you know, these kids, they think I'm their enemy. No. They have to grow up. And then they realize, hopefully, that you were the better, great thing for them. You're my spiritual children. And I want you to have your highest and best. And sometimes I say things that might rub you the wrong way, but it's because I love you. Faithful of the wounds of a friend, deceitful of the kisses of an enemy. So here we have Paul, dedicated. Is, Bill, is Pastor Bill dedicated? I have to ask myself a question. Do you give everything you can teaching? Do you study as hard as you can? Do you serve as hard as you can? Do you leave it all out on the field? I have to answer that question. And God will give you say yeah, and he'll say no. So this is what we see from Paul. This is one thing we can, this is one of the things you can gather from this message, is that Paul was dedicated and devoted. And when I read that, I look at, first thing I said when I'm studying this, wow, this guy was a, this guy was, this guy was sold out for Jesus. What a hard worker he must have been. What a work ethic. What a, what a dedication and devotion. Oh my goodness. Am I like that? That's the first thing I say. The first thing I say. And you should be asking yourself that too. Look at that. Look at it on the map, please. Look at Jerusalem. Down here in the bottom of your hand. All the way up here. I'm going north. All these areas. Hard travel. He was almost killed many times. He was, many times he was almost uh, murdered. He had bank robbers and everything. Trying to, trying to kill and hold your place. Look at Second Corinthians. Let me tell you what he did. Look at this guy's dedication. Look at Second Corinthians. I'll tell you the chapter in a minute as I find it. Yeah. Look at 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. Oh, you no, no. What did I say? Second, look at Second Corinthians chapter eleven. You're right in the same book. Look at verse. Look at verse one. Second Corinthians eleven one. Follow me. Second Corinthians eleven one. This fits with what's going on in Romans. Where he said. From roundabout is Jerusalem as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now in 2 Corinthians 11, he's going to give us some insight of what that ministry was like. And you, if you don't come out of this, thing, this guy was unbelievable. How did he do it? In the power of the Spirit. Christ working through him. He, anybody else would have quit. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. They, they rejected Paul's authority. But indeed, you were bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband. I married you to Christ. I evangelized you. I gave you the gospel. So that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not, we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself, so that you might be exalted, because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge, you didn't charge for his teaching. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need and everything. I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. 
as the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I'm doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. He's, he's embarrassed that he has to say to defend his ministry, that he has to remind them of his devotion to Christ. He's, he's say, he's not, he has to, it sounds like bragging, and he's embarrassed and ashamed that he has to say it, but, but he's only saying it because he loves them. So that they would wake up and love him back like he loved them. They were going after false teachers. But look what it says. This is when he starts telling you about what his ministry was like and what he went through. He says in verse, he says in verse 8, 17, what I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since they, many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. Look what he boasts about. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. And now look at it. In more, far more labors. In far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Fifth, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. The skin was taken off his back. If he walked through the door, you'd be grossed out. This guy was an ex-con and he had... The scars the show for his ministry. Three times, look at verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And you had a bad day? A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. That was his ministry from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum, he fully preached the gospel of Christ. That's dedication. That's devotion. See, don't say you love Jesus. Don't you get involved in the hypocrisy. Don't. It's a terrible thing. You love Jesus by your actions, your conduct. Don't tell me, don't say that I love you, Jesus, and you're not dedicated to him. Jesus said, he who loves me keeps my commandments. Look at what Paul did. Look at the intensity of his ministry. He lived with a sense of urgency. Paul did his ministry because he thought Christ would come back at any moment. He lived with a sense of urgency. That's what we saw. That's what he did from Jerusalem as far as Lyricum. If you look on the map here, that's what he did. That, this is a map, but look at all we just read of what he went through as he traveled the Roman Empire. For who? Who did he do it? I calculated it all, if you cover the miles, straight shot to Illyricum from Jerusalem, it's 1,400 miles. And that's not what he did. He actually did more than that because he went back and forth to these different places. That shows his love for God's people and it shows his love for the Lord. He walked the talk. He practiced what he preached. Now go back to Romans 15:19. Romans fifteen nineteen. Paul says in Romans fifteen nineteen, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. How did he do all that? How did he suffer that? How did he endure it and not quit? I'm going home. I'm getting out of here. I can't. I can't handle it anymore. The pressure. Of course, anybody else would have done it. We all would have done that. He would have done that. How did he get through it? God's Spirit. God's Spirit could take you through the worst adversity, the worst thing you could ever deal with, your most uncomfortable situation. The Spirit gets you through it. So he says in verse 19, in the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. When he says, I fully preached the gospel of Christ, that means that Paul fulfilled what he was required to do 
as an apostle sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He communicated the gospel. That was his job. What's the job? We don't have apostles today. What's the job of a pastor? Proclaim the gospel. That's how you find out if your pastor loves you. Did he, feed, did he teach the word of God to you? Or did he just do a 10-minute sermon on Sunday? Did he sacrifice for you? Or was he self-centered and lived for himself? Fully preached the gospel of Christ. That means Paul did what he was told by the Lord. He could rest his head on the pillow knowing he did a good job. His conscience was clear. It's an awful thing to have a guilty conscience. This statement means that he proclaimed the gospel in strategic centers throughout the area from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum and he established churches in these areas. From these strategic centers, he, these churches that he planted would evangelize their own specific regions. He was simply laying a foundation among the Gentiles from Jerusalem all the way around as far as Illyricum. Look at verse 20. It says, And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. That verse, that particular verse, Paul, we see, is writing that his ambition in life was to proclaim Christ in places of the Roman Empire that did not know Christ, so as not to build upon another man's foundation. This verse advances upon that preceding in verse, in verses 18 and 19. It advances these statements here in verse 20. And when he says thus, he says, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, thus refers to the preceding statements in verses 18 and 19. And that describes the manner in which Paul proclaimed the gospel. I aspired, what does that mean? It indicates that Paul had his own ambition in life. To proclaim the gospel, not only in those places where Christ was named, so that he did not build upon another man's foundation. That was his ambition in life. That is his ambition in life. Sold out, totally de dedicated, he made up his mind. He made a decision that I am going to have as my sole ambition, not to make a lot of money, not to be a pro uh, gain the approbation of people, not to get uh, what the chase after the things of the world like the rest of the world. My ambition in life is, is to do this, proclaim Christ. To proclaim Christ. Because in the end, that's all that really matters. Because everything we see here, people, is going to be burned up. Everything. Gone. You're going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And then all that will be remain are the works that we did and the power of the Spirit. Hopefully we have enough of them so we can get rewards. To preach, that means he proclaimed the good news. The Christian message, you know the gospel we studied from Romans 1.16 to Romans 15.13? That was Paul's gospel. That was Paul's gospel. And we studied every line of it. Because God's word is important. Every word from the mouth of God is important. Every jot and tittle is important. This is not, the word of God is not McDonald's where you run through the drive-thru and you shove it in your throat. This is, this is, this is a choice meal. When you have a great meal in front of you, think of whatever you love. Do you just shove it down? No, you want to taste it, you want to, you want to savor it, you want to just experience it, right? That should be our attitude toward the Word of God. And we did it here. We studied Paul's gospel. And that's what he's talking about. I fully preached, I proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, not where Christ's name he did it. Look at verse 20. He says, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was already named. That emphatically negates the idea of Paul proclaiming Christ in unidentified geographical regions of the Roman Empire where he was already known. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want to repeat another man's work. If John had already hit the Moines, the Apostle of John or Peter, he wouldn't bother going there. Because there was already a foundation built there. Why would he go to a different geographical region? Because he wanted everybody to know about Christ. He didn't have much time. He, he knew he didn't have much time on this earth. And so he did his, he tried to cover as much ground. If somebody hit this Des Moines, he'd go to the next place. He'd go to South Dakota or something. He'd keep going west. That's the way Paul moved. Get, let people know about Christ, as many people as we can. You know, one of the great things that we have, and Paul would have loved it if he was alive today, is the website. You know, I mean, the, the website is reaching so many people. There, you know what's the biggest series that we have? And I just crack up. It's Romans. Romans, Romans, I get emails from people. Love Romans. It's like, great. Love to hear it. They love it. I get people from Africa whose English is not as good as ours, they're ordering the CDs from Africa. They're ordering the books. 
They're ordering these stuff. People, they love the series of Romans because it's the gospel. It presents the gospel. In, it's the clearest explanation of the gospel. The, the website, it hits all around the world. 24-7 with a click of a mouse. Boom! Paul would have been like, yeah. He would have had, he would have done, he would, this, the, the thing with the website, he'd be like, yep, 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 yep. That's what you do. CDs, good. They can listen to the, listen to the teaching in the car. He'd love that. Any old way, the technology would have gone bonkers thinking about it. What he could do with it. He was always thinking, what can I do to let people know about Jesus? In our day and age, there's no excuse. They're translating the Bible into languages. Titus, you know somebody that they, they do this. You, you said you were saying that uh, they actually go into places in the world, these people, and they create a language. Right? They create a language. Some people don't even have a language. They don't written down. They create an alphabet. They build a language so that they can translate the Bible for them. So these people who don't have any knowledge of Christ can have knowledge of him. You know, that's why, you know, everybody has their contribution. Those scholars, pastors, everybody has a contribution to make. And it all should be to make sure that everyone who doesn't know about Christ knows about him. Now, if you look at the verse 20, he says, and I, Thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. And then he says, So that I would not build on another man's foundation. That phrase, the last statement, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, is a purpose clause, indicating Paul's purpose for proclaiming the gospel throughout the Roman Empire where Christ was never known. When he says, I would not build on another man's foundation, that denies any idea of Paul communicating the gospel in an area already evangelized by another. Robert Mounts, who did a commentary on Romans, has the following quote. He says, listen to what he says, and I'm quoting from him. He would rather, Paul, would rather not build on foundations laid by others. That was not because of some peculiar pride that would encourage him to go it on his own, but because of his intense desire to reach the known world as quickly as possible. Why as quickly as possible? He didn't know there was going to be two centuries, like 21 centuries later. He didn't think, he thought Christ was going to come back at any moment. He didn't wait for the rapture. He wasn't, uh, ex he was expecting the rapture to come at any time. He didn't think he was going to have, an, there was going to be another two, three, four, five, six centuries, 20 centuries. He didn't think that. He lived in light, the early church lived in light of the fact that Christ could come back at any moment. That's why he was urgent. I ain't wasting my life. I'm going to take what every, you know, we're, listen to me. I, many times I've taught this. We're all stewards of our time, talent, Treasure and truth. Time. God has given you a certain amount of time on this earth. The Bible says he's given you days, not years, days. It says to teach me to number my days, Lord. And you have a talent, your spiritual gift. And other talents that are not your spiritual gift. You might be a musician. You might be someone who is very talented with carpentry. Whatever it is. Truth. The word of God that God has given you to share to others. Treasure. God's giving you money. It's not yours. It's on loan. What are you doing with it? Is it for your own selfish reasons? Or is it because I want to do as much as I can for the gospel? God's not saying give up your responsibilities. He's saying make sure, yeah, you do take care of your family, but you also have a responsibility to the gospel. You have a responsibility to use your money wisely because we're going to give an account. You know, when we stand before Christ, it's not going to be bringing up the sins. It's going to say, what did you do with your time, talent, and treasure? Did you use it for the glory of God or did you use it for something else? Because I gave you everything. Every, all our bodies, everything we have, our mental capacity, the clothes we're wearing, that's from God. The house you live in, the car you drive, the gas you put on it. He owns the planet. It's on loan to us. What do we have that wasn't given to us? So that's what we need to do. Be good stewards. Paul was. Paul was. Now what Paul says there in verse 20 is similar to his statements in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 through 16. Now, I want you to hold your place and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. You got Romans, then you got 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. 
Now, it's interesting. If you look at this chapter here, this part of 1 Corinthians 3.1, we always go to it. We, you know, a lot of times we've gone to it because we talk about rewards and everything. But you know, if you look at it in context, he's talking about his, his ministry as a builder. It's talking about the communicators of the Word of God. That they're builders. They're spiritual builders. A pastor is a spiritual builder. He's laying a foundation. He wants to build. He's trying to give you the Word of God to build that edification complex in your soul. Or in other words, that spiritual house in your soul. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 3.1. It's very similar to what he says in Romans 15.20. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as the infants of Christ. I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. And they should have known, but they had knew Paul, they listened to him for years, and they're still spiritual babies. It's like taking your kid who's 10 years old and still giving him cereal. He won't have steak. It's like my, it's like my brother uh, Christopher. For a long time, he would never have steak or meat. And I my mother and father crazy. They thought that there's something wrong with this kid. Um, you know, is there something I'm doing? My mother used to kill herself over it. Well, you know, it, he had some issues going on with his ad. He couldn't taste anything. He couldn't hear anything. He was like, finally, they took care of that. And the kid started changing around. Got him a girlfriend. He started eating pizza. Oh, my goodness. We couldn't believe it. Had a steak. Oh, my God. He had a heart attack. But he was, he was a baby, he would just have milk. Oh, he'd just have, my mother would have to make, uh, what do they call those, uh, fraps? Or, um, you know, they'd mix up the egg and if, uh, what do they call that? Somebody help me out. What? Uh-huh. No, not an omelet. You put it, you mix it up, you, you blender it. What is it? What is it? Crepes? No, no, you put like eggs, you put it in a blender, milk and all that stuff. No, like an egg, like a frap. The kid, the kid wouldn't eat anything solid, people. Come on, help me out. What are you sleeping out there? Gosh. Oh, jeez, yeah. We don't drink those in Iowa, yeah. Baloney, you don't drink that out in Iowa. You're full of both. Well, anyway, the kid, think, the kid wouldn't eat anything solid. So what she did, she put it on in a blender. Well, okay, we'll, we'll fake him out. We'll put, like, you know, stuff in there that he needs. Well, he would... He would he finally, I mean, he didn't eat anything solid for years. Well... It's, you know, there's something wrong there, right? Well, you know, Christians, you know, after a while, we can't have baby stuff for a long, baby food forever. We gotta have something solid. We gotta, we gotta have some things that make us, challenge us and make us think. Now look what he says. Now I lost my place. Look at verse three. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm Apollos, who was another teacher of the word of God, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Oh, past, hey, look at it. Pastors, we come and go. You know, you know, sometimes the pastor, you know, people get all enamored about the pastor and they get into the personality, personality thing. That's what Paul's saying. We're nothing. We're just servants of Christ. And, you know, the, the people get all, all upset. Oh, he, this, per, this pastor's going and we, I mean, he's, mess, he's leaving and, oh, and they get all upset. It's like, well, they'll bring another guy again. The Lord brings in another guy and he'll be, you'll forget the, the other guy. You, you, this is what he's saying. Don't make a big deal about the pastor. You should respect him as the word of God says. Treat him with respect because he's the, your communicator. But don't get into this personality conflict where you put him up at a pedestal and then if he lets you down, he, you chop him down. That's iconoclastic arrogance. Look at verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who, who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building, a spiritual house. Paul's laying foundations with the gospel. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds. Some of you were saved not through my ministry, but somebody else. And then I come along and I'm building on that foundation. That's what he's talking about. Many of you weren't saved through my ministry. You were not saved by through me. You were saved through another man. And here I come along and I'm just building on another guy's foundation. Some of you get saved through our ministry. And right now, I'm putting on foundation right now. On that, that found, uh, putting, uh, building on that foundation right now. As I teach you the word of God. That's what Paul's talking about. Then he says in verse 
look at verse 11. He says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now go back to Romans 15 and look at verse 21. Romans 15, 21. In this verse, we're going to see Paul, he cites Isaiah 52, 15. And the reason why is because this Old Testament scripture alludes to the context of his gospel. It describes his ministry to the Gentiles and it supports his teaching in verse 20. Remember I told you at the beginning, Paul saw his ministry in the Old Testament. He saw his ministry in the Old Testament. That's why he goes, he went, when he get, when he was told by the Lord to go to the Gentiles, he was devastated because he wanted to go to his Jewish brethren. But then he had to look through the scriptures in the Old Testament and he saw, ha, it says that the Gentiles would get the gospel. That's what God wants me to do. Yeah, he told me to go to the Gentiles. He wants me to evangelize the Gentiles because it was predicted in the Old Testament. Isaiah predicted it. And this is what he does in verse 21. He says, but as it is written, they who had no news of him, Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. That quotation from Isaiah 52, 15 stands in direct contrast with the idea of Paul building on another's foundation and proclaiming the gospel already in places where Christ was already known. It also validates his assertion in verse 20 that he aspired to proclaim the gospel in those regions of the earth where Christ was never known in order that he would not build on another's foundation. That verse in Isaiah 52.15 supports Paul's previous statement in which he wrote that he aspired to proclaim the gospel in those regions where Christ was never known in order that he would not build on another man's foundation. Also, it's interesting, it alludes that Isaiah 52.15, he quotes it because it alludes to the content of his gospel, namely Christ. It also describes the purpose and his method of operation, modus operandi, of his ministry on behalf of the Gentiles. Why? Because in this Isaiah passage, the individuals who have not had the gospel proclaimed to them and have not heard it yet are kings and nations. And when he says, if you look at the verse, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Those two statements talk about the Gentiles accepting by faith the gospel message concerning the Messiah. You are a fulfillment of prophecy. Are you not a Gentile? Anybody here Jewish? No. Not Saul McKinney. He's not Jewish. We're all Gentiles. It was predicted in the Old Testament that we would believe in Jesus Christ. This is being fulfilled in our very day. Now, how's that to think about today as you go see your father and enjoy this day with your parents? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for every single person here this morning. And we pray, Father, that you would give them comfort and encouragement, instruct them in righteousness, and also rebuke if necessary, because we know that you love us and you want us to do the right thing in life, to be sold out and dedicated and devoted to the gospel and getting the word of God out. So we also pray, Father, if there's anyone that is listening to my voice, whether here in the chapel or on the internet, if there's anyone who is hearing my voice right now who, is not, who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell them, that God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely born son, that whoever believes in him shall never per perish but have eternal life. For the Father did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now you have a volition, a free will. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. You have privacy. And you could say to the Father in your own words that you're believing in his son, Jesus Christ. It's that simple because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who took the nails. He's the one who went to the cross. He's the one who suffered that spiritual death. He is the one who took the crown of thorns and the abuse, that verbal and physical abuse and torture at the cross, all because he loved you. Now the choice is yours. If you say no, there's no guarantee that you're walking out of here alive. You could drop the dead of a heart attack. I'm not here to try to scare you into believing. What I'm trying to tell you is you don't know where you're going to be in the next hour. So why mess around and why play around with a holy and righteous God. The choice is yours. If you reject him, the Bible says you're under the wrath of God. You will suffer eternal condemnation in the lake of fire forever. God does not want you to go there. He loves you. That's why he sent the son to the cross so that you might be spared the lake of fire and that you might be in a relationship with him forever. 
with the rest of the saints and the angels, worshiping and adoring our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the choice is yours. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should be saved. So, Father, again, we thank you, and we pray that you would bless this message to our hearts that we've heard this morning, and be sensitive to what the Spirit says to us. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Could our ashes come forward for the Sunday morning offering, please? Okay, now is the time for us to meet the needs of this congregation to uh, continue on with our daily task as well as uh, provide the gospel message throughout the world. Um, If you're visiting, please put away your wallets and billfolds. And if you consider this your church and Pastor Bill your pastor, now is the time to give. And what you give is between you and the Lord. So let's bow our heads and prepare for the offering. Father, we pray this offering that will be given out of love and appreciation for you and your son, Jesus Christ, all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you for those who take part in giving, as well as those who continue to offer their time and talent to meet the needs of this ministry. Thank you for the blessings and answered prayers of this church, allowing us to meet our daily needs and to continue to provide the gospel message to the world. Thank you, Father, for those in our service this morning and for our extended congregation for their faithfulness and dedication to this ministry from around the world. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Say how they 
Thanks, Happy Father's Day, everybody.